to Inside Sponsorship, the show that provides sponsorship professionals with advice, insights and news so they can maximise their commercial programmes and achieve best practice. Data measurement and most importantly the insights and what we do with them is something that is driving the sponsorship industry in a world where we're so connected 24-7 globally and with so many data capture points, the power that can be unlocked is immense. Interestingly, though, what brands ultimately want to achieve through sponsorship and increasingly data-driven sponsorships hasn't changed. They want more sales. That's always the end game. I don't know about you, but maybe you're a right side or a brand that's all over data measurement, insights and actions. But for most of us, it feels like the power of data is so tantalizingly close that it hurts. And if you can just get it right, it feels like we can all accelerate the sponsorship success of the industry very, very quickly. With the pausing of sports earlier this year, a lot of them abruptly due, of course, to COVID-19, the sponsorship industry was completely upended. Some sponsors froze, not sure what to do. Others adjusted their approach and some even just cancelled sponsorships altogether. Social media has long been a big player, but with people suddenly restricted in movement and less sports content to consume, social and other digital platforms suddenly accelerated. Someone who knows all of this well and joins us on the show is Scott Tilton, CEO of Hook It. At Hook It, they live by the mantra of you can't manage what you don't measure. That's why they've built a platform with key sponsorship metrics so you will have more insight into the effectiveness of each partner, allowing you to make smarter budget decisions to optimise your sponsorship ROI. A great resource that Hook It have produced this year is the White Paper, Chasing Sponsorship Value, an inside look at the top brands in sports, how they got there and what they can do even better. It's a great read and full of amazing insights. And Scott joins us on the show to discuss lots of aspects from it and how you can all be better with measurement, data, insights and actions. Hi, I'm Daniel Oyston, host of Inside Sponsorship, and you're listening to Episode 90, brought to you by Core Software. Thanks for joining us for this episode. I hope you are well wherever you are in the world and you're ready for another episode with an amazing guest. But first, as always, it's time for some shout-outs. Regular listeners know how much I love giving shout-outs. And last episode, there were none, so I was sad. But thanks to those who reached out this time to say hi. And if you haven't, or even if you have reached out in the past, but you want to say hi again with an update on what you're up to, please do get in touch. I love hearing from you, the listeners. The first comes from Jamie Halliday-Bird, who connected with me on LinkedIn and said, just reaching out to say that I'm loving the Inside Sponsorship podcast. I discovered the podcast while searching for a bit of wisdom for navigating COVID times, and it's been an invaluable resource. I am the Partnerships Manager for Adelaide Fringe, Australia's largest arts event. We missed the COVID wave by two days for our 2020 event and have now been navigating uncharted waters in the lead up to the 2021 event. The podcast has given me some incredible ideas as how to continue to deliver on benefits for our partners and the confidence to refine our strategy for the upcoming season. Thanks and keep up the good work. Great to hear from you, Jamie. Thanks for saying hi and let's hope Adelaide Fringe smashes it in 2021. Next was Aman Aluwalia, Manager of Business Analytics at Kansas City Chiefs, who has had a shout out before and he messaged me again to say, Daniel, hope you're well. I just listened to the newest episode and really enjoyed it. It's extremely relevant to what I'm working on in my role at the Chiefs as I'm continuing to use data and strategy to build better partnerships. Keep up the great stuff. My pleasure, Arman. And I'm sure having listened to the intro for this show that you're excited 
for this episode. Ahmed Al-Mashadi, CEO of Sync Sponsorship Agency in Saudi Arabia, also connected on LinkedIn and wrote, Hey Daniel, it's great to connect with you, mate. Big fan and a huge promoter of the show. Hope to chat soon. Thanks so much for connecting, Ahmed, and thank you so much for helping spread the show. We really do try and focus on a show that is all about helping sponsorship managers at rights holders, brands, and of course, agencies. So it's great to hear that you get value out of the show. As I said earlier, Scott Tilton, CEO at Hookit, is our guest, and he joins us on the show to discuss Hookit's white paper, Chasing Sponsorship Value, an inside look at the top brands in sports, how they got there, and what they could do even better. But before we hear from Scott, Daniel Collier-Hill, Corps' commercial director, APAC, joins us to discuss his latest blog titled, Unlocking Sponsorship Data and Beginning to Use It More. Here's Daniel. Daniel Collier-Hill, welcome back to the show. Data is still a big challenge for a lot of organizations, but it can be hard to get started or or if you have started, even now if you're moving in the right direction because it can look big and scary and a lot of work and you're not sure if you can see the forest for the trees. And so to help us, you've penned a blog titled Unlocking Sponsorship Data and Beginning to Use It More. But I have it on good authority that you've stolen. Actually, let's say that you've borrowed <laughs> some key themes yes. from Core's white paper, data warehousing and analytics. Yeah, look, and, and I'm not too afraid to, to admit that a lot of content has been taken from this white paper because it's so crucial. And look, it, whilst it might be largely geared towards rights holders to a certain degree, there's so much planning and strategy reviews taking place. There really isn't a better time to start unpacking how data could be sponsorship silver bullet in 2021 and i know that sounds like a really cliche or buzzword sentence to roll out but when you think about all the exciting business intelligence or strategy topics uh, out there at the moment it's not hard to see how much this theme is actually going to come to the foray over the next 12 24 36 months uh, with advanced analytics ai predictive modeling data visualization and, and in general broader sponsorship valuations you start to get a sense that when unpacking business intelligence and strategy in relation to sponsorship, you might need to buckle in for the long haul, but it doesn't have to be that way. Uh, personally, I think there's really two key things that you can start to explore that'll really help you quickly unlock sponsorship data and, and, and be able to use it more effectively. Okay, you've said you've got two there, so let's talk about unlocking a data-rich landscape. What are you getting at there? We'd live in a data-rich world, and I don't mean to recycle what you just said, but it's it's everywhere. Um, and, and look, in my opinion, it's both a blessing and a curse. And I say this because though you can begin to harness and aggregate lots of sponsorship-related data sources, how much is too much? Like when, when do we draw the line? We tend to have so many questions and you know, where do we start? What data sources are relevant to us? Do we look at structured or unstructured data? Do we overlay general sponsorship insights with consumer data or perhaps, you know, taken from something like more traditional marketing? It's literally everywhere. In Dentsu's 2019 CMO survey, 54% of CMOs believed that data is more accessible than ever before, but it's becoming so much harder to extract actual insight. But interestingly, I think it was 49% of the same respondents suggested that they just didn't have the capabilities, both people and tech to maximize their data's value hence why you know i can steal a couple of ideas from our data warehouse white paper there's lots of questions around how you unlock data so it can be tough to know where to start if you have budget i would probably look to buy a data warehouse and if not arguably more important than the tech itself 
employ a strategist or an analyst and really just someone who knows what they're doing. If you can't do either, I mean, at a minimum, take a look at every report that comes into the business that's relevant to sponsorship. From there, we can begin to align these reports and, and data with marketing and sponsorship objectives because understanding what you're trying to achieve will actually sh help shape how you review the data in the first place. You know, when you think about absolute utopia, this is the ability to aggregate and centralize multiple data sources to form accurate real-time reporting that allows you to shape strategy and execution of your sponsorship deals. This is really what a lot of agencies are doing. And again, this is utopia between rights holder, agency and brand where you're all looking at the same data and able to bring it to life in different ways. If I can be more specific, this would be bringing together media valuations, social media engagement rates, impressions, employee survey results, You know, maybe even throw in some various demographic metrics um, in, in terms of what you're collecting visualization not only makes understanding and decision making easier from this but it also helps you to tell the story to various stakeholders about your sponsorships and how they're contributing to marketing and business objectives and that's not just external that's internal as well we all know half the battle of sponsorship budgets are trying to convey that benefit and messaging up the food chain or to other areas of the business so if i can oversimplify this being able to collect and visualize your data and subsequent reports or dashboards is going to be a crucial skill set or capability going into next year. Okay, so let's say we, we've unlocked or we've at least started to unlock a, a data-rich landscape within inside our business, but even bringing data from outside the business and integrating that as well. And we now need to move to point number two, which is actually doing something with that data and turning it into insight. How do we go about that? Well, it's, you just nailed it. it it's all about what to do next uh, and that's probably the most important thing that we're you know we should be able to answer it's being able to say we're looking at x data and it's telling us why we should be able to rattle off that sentence really easily but then it's also being able to answer the next question is always well what does that mean you know and, and it's it's one of the hardest questions to answer right particularly because that most commonly happens on the spot no one ever lets you prepare for that so one of the biggest challenges we find with data analytics is how we actually use the data we have to make decisions and tell stories. Again, if I can lean on Dentsu's CMO survey, 84% of CMOs surveyed said that insight driven by data collection, management and analytics will be important in the future. It sounds like a really throwaway cliche line, but again, 50% only believe that their organizations are doing this today. So there's a real disconnect between what we think should happen and then what we're capable of doing or doing already. So once you've aggregated and centralized the relevant data for your sponsorship deals, you need to work out how to bring this to life. Now, during a panel session at Leaders recently, Mike Vitti, and, and apologies, Mike, if I'm mispronouncing that incorrectly, but VP of Data Analytics at PGA Tour said that, uh, you know, the data itself doesn't solve the problems. And I think he absolutely nails it. Um, tell me if you disagree, but I mean, instead, he noted that it's the actionable information from the data and the final execution based on that data that actually solves the problem. So having a nice flashy report and spreadsheet and tables and graphs, that's great, but we need to know what on earth we need to do with it. So what he's alluding to here is the fact that, you know, having those flashy reports is not the final step. Instead, how we turn that information into insight that guides us what to do next is really the important step. And I think 
sometimes that can be lost in the sea of data we have access to and, and all the flashy reports you kind of you don't really know where to look because of the abundance uh, you know i mean as we go into 2021 no doubt there's going to be six thousand different reports in terms of what the next trends are and how we bring them to life and you know we should look at this data instead of this data and everyone's going to have their own opinion for rights holders turning data into actual insight might look like an in-depth category analysis real-time cost versus value analysis of assets or rights depending on how we term that and then perhaps even some predictive modeling around the likelihood uh, of, of deals happening or not for brands if i can put the shoe on the other foot this might look like similar activities but overlaid with various brand filters or you know maybe linear correlations between spend and actual results i think unlocking data and then being able to turn it into actionable insights is not as as simple as buying some software employing a resource or closing your eyes until <laughs> the problem goes away there's a lot of work and strategy that goes into it pga tour hsbc tennis australia gemba two circles you know and, and almost every team across the epl there's lots of the properties there they're all using data to guide what they do next they're all really really good examples from rights holders brands and agency worlds of what data to collect how to collect it and ultimately how do we create deals off the back of it now i think this whole conversation around data and getting people moving in the right direction well as you said there's lots of examples of organizations on both sides of the fence using data and bringing it to light creating actionable insights telling stories aligning it with objectives and goals there's lots of examples of that but there's lots of people still in the industry who really do need some guidance and a push in the right direction so this is definitely not a conversation that's going to go away anytime soon so daniel outstanding as usual and listeners if you'd like to read through daniel's blog in slow time just head to the resources section at coresoftware.com daniel thanks for joining us always a pleasure thanks very much mate at hook it they live by the mantra of you can't manage what you don't measure that's why they've built a platform with key sponsorship metrics so you will have more insight into the effectiveness of each partner allowing you to make smarter budget decisions to optimize your sponsorship roi as budgets become tighter and sponsorship managers are more and more aligned with marketing teams and even for rights holders in servicing their partners, using data to provide insights and tell stories about how sponsorships are playing their role in a brand's overall marketing is critical. John Wanamaker is quoted as saying, half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. The trouble is, I don't know which half. But today, people cannot hide behind the inability to track and measure their sponsorship and broader marketing efforts. In fact, so much of marketing is now built from the foundation of strong data and sponsorships run the risk of becoming the untrackable strategy when held up against other strategies and tactics inside a brand who is trying to ensure all their marketing budget is well spent and aligned. A great resource that Hook could have produced this year is the white paper, Chasing Sponsorship Value, an inside look at the top brands in sports, how they got there, and what they could do even better. Considering all I've just said, against the backdrop of COVID-19 and the sports world feeling like it's waking up for a big 2021, irrespective of what that looks like, this is a timely guest to have on the show. Here's Scott Tilton, CEO of Hookit. Scott, welcome to the show. We always start off our guests with an icebreaker or two, just ease into the chat, have a little bit of fun, help the guests settle in and, and for people to get to know you a little bit more. My research tells me that you competed in downhill mountain biking. Now, I'm a keen mountain biker myself. Cross country is my jam, but I'm curious where your favourite place is that you've ridden your mountain bike. My main sport growing up is motocross. 
And that's uh, off-road and the jumps and the racing and all that is actually what got me into downhill mountain biking because I thought it'd be a little less intense than motocross and I ended up getting more banged up than, uh, than I was anticipating. You know, but yeah, I, I do ride a little bit of cross country now. It's good to stay in shape and such, but I always preferred the downhill because, uh, you know, it's much more fun to take the ski lift to the top and race to the bottom. So, uh, but yeah, no, I think any any ski mountain, you know, I, when I was racing, you know, we did kind of the national circuit and there was a, the Norba series at the time and got to race in, you know, Mammoth and Big Bear and uh, Vermont and just some really great mountains, Durango, Colorado. So yeah, there, any ski mountain, you know, especially out West has just amazing trails and, you know, it's just su a super fun sport to do, but I'm with you now I'm more of a cross country guy than a downhill guy. Cause I, I can't afford the injuries these days. <laughs> do you have a dream spot you've always wanted to visit and, and ride your bike, whether it's cross country or downhill now? I mean, for me, I've always dreamed about maybe one day visiting the Red Bull Rampage. So I've been to the Rampage twice. It's an amazing event. You know, Red Bull's events are just phenomenal. But uh, but the Rampage is definitely one of those special events that, you know, as an avid mountain biker, I still just like, you know, in awe of how these guys do this. And when you're jumping, you know, 70, 80 foot gaps and doing backflips, you know, like it's uh, no thanks. But um, but no, I mean, I, growing up, I always wanted to be a professional motocross racer and didn't quite get there. But you know, I just fortunately with my career now, I get to just see amazing things. And, you know, tennis is also a sport that I competed in growing up. And, and now, you know, I've gotten to see a majority of the big tournaments and just, you know, I can't complain about my, my personal hobbies and interests have collided with business and uh, I get to pretty much live my dream every day. Yeah, I think there's a lot of people that would be smiling and nodding their head with that last comment, Scott. So, Hook It were able to power Sports Pro Media's 50 most marketed brands. Were there any surprises on the list for you? Well, there was a couple of things. So, we, we tracked about 7,000 brands to come up with that top 50. And uh, it was a look from August of 19 to August of 20. And what we did was, you know, for those that aren't familiar with what Hook It does, we're a sponsorship analytics platform. And and we specifically track athletes, teams, and leagues across social media. So for purposes of this report, we wanted to just get a view of how much value was coming from those three types of entities specifically. We actually excluded anything that would be considered an event this year because events were on hold. So we didn't want to kind of skew the numbers for events that were happening before uh, the pandemic started. But all in all, we tracked about $6.2 billion in value for those 7,000 brands Nike was by far kind of the, the number one, uh, received the, the most value from the athletes, teams, and leagues. I think, you know, and that wasn't a surprise, uh, but more of a, uh, of a surprise was who was not in the list. So some of the top spending sponsors like Verizon and Molson Cord and FedEx and Microsoft and Bank of America, all spending, at least according to IEB, north of you know, $75 million in sponsorship, didn't make the list. And there were only two Olympic TOP sponsors that actually made the list, and it was Coca-Cola and Toyota. So there was just a lot of movement. And I think, you know, you could spend like endless amounts of hours in that data just looking at what's happening and who's driving what. And, um, but yeah, it was a fascinating view. And we've since, you know, taken it one step further where um, we're now doing workshops with brand partners to really evaluate specific categories. So we just did our NFL workshop. Uh, last week and we're doing a formula one and, and then a global football one later in the year. So, uh, but yeah, no, it's just a really fascinating thing, but on the 50 most marketed. Yeah. So the top 50 uh, garnered about 49%. So almost half of the overall value came from the top 50 of all 7,000 brands. 
in the top 10 took, you know, 26% of the overall value. So there's clearly, you know, heavy loaded towards those top brands and just what was being generated. You mentioned some of those brands that were surprising not to be on that list. So there's maybe a suggestion that they aren't getting the value out of their sponsorships that they set out to get. And Hookit recently released a white paper titled Chasing Sponsorship Value. What sort of conversations or challenges led you and the team to create that resource? And what value did you set out to deliver to the market by producing that white paper? We really did it in conjunction with the 50 most marketed brands. So, you know, our whole focus here and our reason for being is to, you know, really support brands to help them evolve their sponsorship strategies and ultimately make their sponsorships more effective. You know, and the goal of the report was really to dive into the data and, and keep in mind, uh, this was really just a view of looking at social. And, um, you know, so we looked at Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, TikTok, uh, Weibo, VK. So there's a pretty broad, you know, it's a big piece of the pie and an important piece of the pie, but it's not everything. So I think what it really highlighted was that uh, not all brands are in- entirely focused on social at this point. It is really the the number one driver of activation strategies. And it's become, I think, as a result of COVID with sports being shut down or events being shut down, it really put a huge microscope on the importance of social media and digital media and how you can engage fans in a in a time when there's no sporting events. So, um, so yeah, so the goal was really just to dive into the data and really understand, you know, how has the pandemic impacted sports sponsorship strategies, the activation strategies, and just who was getting value, you know, when you look at 12 months and half of which was normal times and half of which was COVID times, you know, um, just what did the data show? And uh, so it was just a really fascinating view to really dive into it. We're constantly hearing about the use of data or at least the need to use more data in sponsorship. And in the white paper, you reference how we approach with a data mindset. Can you unpack what you mean by that for the listeners and share exactly what sort of traits you're expecting to see when somebody approaches with a data mindset? We've been waving this flag that sponsorships need to be more data-driven. They need to be more scientific, less gut feel. And um, even as recent as the last couple of years, like sponsorship deals are still largely about the sizzle, you know, and, and decisions are being made based on gut feel. And that model, in our view, is just not sustainable at all. And I think uh, one thing that COVID did do was put a microscope on everything related to sponsorship and every every investment and partnership is being evaluated right now. Um, and it's really kind of emphasized the importance of data. How do I evaluate these partnerships? And when you're in these really uncertain times and there's so much movement happening right now, you know, especially on the rights holder side, they're trying to figure out how to make good on deals and, you know, when events di- didn't take place. And so I think our whole focus, and this is something, you know, as part of our DNA from the beginning is, how do we encourage the entire industry to be more data-minded? So looking at you know what data and goals are important to your brand partners and how do you make good on those and, and be accountable for positive outcomes. But yeah, I mean, you can't measure anything without data. So it's, uh, it's super critical. You spoke about how some sponsorships are still all about the sizzle and TV viewers have long underpinned that that sizzle with, hey, we have X million viewers of, of our sport or our channels. Sponsorship effectiveness can simply no longer just be tracked by estimated TV impressions, but it must focus on quality and value more importantly. And in the white paper, you talk about using adjusted ad value or, or simply sponsorship value. What does this method look like to you and how do you go about calculating it? 
we initially launched our valuation model back in 2015. And originally it was more of an earned media value. And we were really the first to put a value on what is this social content worth to a brand. And our original model, uh, when I say earned media value, it was using what we would consider rate card rates. So what would a platform charge, you know, on average to advertise on their platform? And, and those rates are clearly much higher than, you know, what people are actually spending. Uh, so our adjusted ad value model starts with a maximum ad value. And so we source from a third party the actual executed rates of what brands and agencies are spending on their campaigns. And we apply. So once in the way that our platform works is that we're ingesting anywhere from 50 to 100 million social posts a month. And we analyze every single one of them for brand value. So we're looking for text-based promotion via uh, hashtags, keywords, mentions, uh, tags. But then we also process every photo and video for visual promotion. And we're looking for logos for 7,000 brands. And uh, so once we flag a post as having promotion of a brand, we immediately assign a max ad value to it. So that's the total amount of engagement multiplied by the uh, those uh, cost per engagement rates that we source. Uh, so that's our starting point of what, if this was an ad, how much would it cost to get this level of engagement? But then we immediately downweight it based on the, the quality of the promotion. So we look, we get very granular and that's something that we've invested a you know, tremendous amount of time in and working with our brand partners on, you know, what do they deem as valuable and quality promotion? So we look at things like size and clarity of logos. We look at competition and crowding, which are two very key indicators of either is it a deliberate post and one, one brand being promoted or is it an incidental promotion to multiple brands? So all of that gets factored into our, our model and it's a zero to 100% promotion quality score. So we take max ad value times the, prop, the quality score and then we arrive at an adjusted ad value. So the interesting part is if you have multiple brands being promoted in a single post, every one of them has a different promo score. So the values are all different. Some might get better quality promotion than others. But yeah, we're really looking at getting to the root of, you know, how are athletes, teams, and leagues promoting their, sponsor, their sponsors and just scoring the quality of that promotion. Well, you speak about quality promotion and getting granular on that, scaling it, downweighting it, crowded posts, all that sort of stuff. So let's touch on promotion quality for a moment. There's, there's plenty of assets and rights baked into deals that they're just used in their most simplest form, which is is simply just to promote the brand and maybe message awareness. So what do you see as making an actual high quality branded post? What goes into it? I think it comes down to really collaboration between the brand and the rights holder. When things first came out and, you know, you've made the comment earlier that people would sell how many followers I have and they wouldn't talk about how much engagement I generate. So I think that mindset is now officially shifted where people talk about engagement when it comes to social, not impressions. And we, you know, repeat this a lot. Engagement is the currency of social. It's not about impressions. It's like who's engaging. So when we look at quality, it's, um, I think the next thing that kind of that took place is that brands started asking their their partners like, oh, we want X number of posts per month. And they weren't very specific in terms of like what should be in that post. And so what you'll see with athletes in some cases is that, you know, they make it this cool podium shot and then they make a post and mention all 10 of their sponsors in a single post. And they're like, I did it. Like I, I hit my requirement for that month. So we're trying to get past that to the point of, you know, really as a rights holder or an athlete thinking about, you know, what posts generate the most engagement, how do I creatively integrate my partners and sponsors into that content, you know, collaborating with the sponsors on what 
types of campaigns are important to them. So it's, there's this consistent theme of alignment of don't just do it for the sake of doing it, you know, make sure you're delivering value with the effort. So, um, so yeah, so we focus in on more of like, what is the brand trying to accomplish and how can I help support those goals and initiatives, you know, in a really creative way and just always be thinking about the quality of the content, the quality of the engagement and, and delivering value. So clearly quality is important and you spoke about sponsors asking sometimes for X number of posts a month and that was some great advice on producing quality content. You touched on frequency. So what about frequency? Is there a magic number that properties should be aiming for to post branded content and how do you determine possible value based on frequency versus quality? So we always tend to focus on quality over quantity, but ideally you should be promoting your partners at least once or twice a month on each platform. Uh, but with that said, when you talk about quality, it's uh, not all platforms are created equal. So as an example, Athways Drive, you know, majority of their engagement happens on Instagram, whereas a team or a league might be happening more on Facebook or even possibly Twitter. So it's really important that you actually map this out where you understand, okay, what platforms drive the most engagement for me? And then how often do I want to integrate my partners in there? And uh, because there is a, you know, there's a, a diminishing point of return where if you're just promoting your sponsors in every single post, then your fans might stop engaging. So it's, you know, it's a, a, a delicate balance of, you know, finding the formula that works but making sure that you're at least consistent, you know, with promoting your partners. Maybe it's a deliberate post once a month and there's incidental promotion, you know, a couple times a month. But yeah, so it's it's definitely just a fine balance and you just have to focus on, you know, how often am I doing it and what is the quality of that content? As an example, we did a NFL workshop last week and we were looking at how much total value was coming from the NFL athletes and teams and league. And an interesting thing was that uh, when we analyzed all the athletes, head and shoulders made the list. They're the number three of top five brands in terms of earning the most value. And um, all of it, and this is looking just from September 1st of this year to date. And, and it all was generated by three posts, all from Patrick Mahomes. So uh, he literally posted three times about head and shoulders. And then, you know, it helped push. Uh, and he was the only athlete that promoted them. Evaluating sponsorships. It's always a topic that's front of mind for everybody in the industry. Rights holders are always wanting brands to evaluate sponsorship positively, so they work really hard to deliver value, and rightly so. Brands are always looking at evaluating their sponsorships, hopefully as they progress through that sponsorship and it progresses, but they're it's definitely really pointed towards the end of a sponsorship when they're evaluating whether they might re-sign or continue. What do you think are the most powerful questions that brands can ask themselves internally when wanting to evaluate their sponsorship deals? There's two typical terms that come up. It's ROI is, is clearly a huge metric and just is there value being generated? Am I reaching the right fans? But then you're hearing a lot more about ROO, return on objective. So I think you know, it's important to just take a step back and, and understand what am I trying to achieve by working with partner X, Y, or Z? And is it a consistent strategy or do you have, you know, do you work with a team specifically for one initiative and a group of athletes for another initiative? But it's, it just comes back to really understanding what am I trying to accomplish as a result of this sponsorship and how do I put the right pieces in place to uh, make sure that I'm achieving those objectives? So I think, um, Probably one of the biggest indicators or really, you know, things that we push brands to adopt is a more kind of real-time mentality where 
you know, you don't need to just wait till the end of the season and, and, and then start looking at data and saying, okay, did that work or not? Uh, you literally have all the data at your fingertips now to be able to, you know, come up with initiatives or campaigns and things, ways that you want to activate the sponsorship. And then you can analyze and evaluate, like, are these things working or not? And if not, you can adjust. So, um, so yeah, being more real time in the way that you really measure the effectiveness of your partners and, um, and just constantly being aligned in terms of what you're trying to accomplish and making sure that, that you're clear with your partners, your rights holders. You mentioned that we all have lots of data at our fingertips. We should be using it as we go. So really, we don't have any excuse. But the sponsorship industry, while it is getting better on that front, it's always been pretty guarded in its day-to-day dealings. Not many people like to share granular detail about their successes or even their failures. We hear lots of great stories around sponsorship success, but that's always at, at the top end. And there's so much more happening right across the globe underneath those activations that get all of the PR. As such, often sponsorship managers on both sides, they don't have lots of data to actually compare themselves with others in the industry. What role do you see benchmarking playing in 2021 and even as we go past 2021? Is it important or does comparative analysis really just lose its effect given how personalized we want to make our sponsorship efforts these days? The initial point that you made about data sharing and things, it was an interesting dynamic where we've we've always worked with brands and rights holders. We tend to be a bit more brand focused right now. But what in the early days, what we were seeing was that, you know, rights holders, the intent was that we would be providing data to them to justify their their value, the value to their sponsors and that they would be sharing the data, good and bad. And what ended up happening was that only the good data was being shared and the bad data was being held back, which isn't helpful for anybody. You know, so I think it's helpful for the rights holder because they, they know that they can really focus on finding ways to improve. But the issue that we were seeing was that you know, they're only focusing on the good and not addressing the bad. So that's kind of one part of it. And, you know, as we work with brands, what their view of it was very different where it's, okay, the good and the positives are great. Then let's, you know, figure out how we can address the the issues with maybe some of the bad data. And we're just finding that they want to be more strategic and more thoughtful with uh, how do we address this? So that's kind of one whole component to it. And then your second point on the benchmarking, we do see value in that because it's, it's important for you, for rights holders to understand, like, how do I, you know, stack up and compare to competitors or other teams or leagues? And, you know, what are they doing well that we could do, be doing to improve upon? But I see it more of a, of an educational a way to educate, you know, yourself on how you can do things differently and more effectively. But the key part about benchmarking is that it, it does put everyone on an even playing field. But in order to do that, you need to have a consistent set of KPIs that everyone is using to benchmark. Otherwise, um, you can have these comparative studies that are all using different, you know, KPIs and metrics. And, and then it's just another way to kind of spin people up and get everyone confused. <laughs> I 100% agree. Scott, one thing I personally love to see in the sponsorship industry is change. Not everybody likes change. A lot of people feel unsettled by it, but I love to see change and and think that I personally think there's a lot of great professionals in the sponsorship industry wanting to do better and, and try and drive the profession and the whole market forward. Measurement plays a massive role in that because it's an an immature area in a lot of aspects. What trends are you seeing across the sponsorship landscape when it comes to evaluation and measurement? What's changing? What do you get excited about? A lot of what we just covered for the most part, but um, we're absolutely seeing this huge shift to more real-time measurement. 
where brands are now actively, you know, using data on a daily or weekly basis to just monitor like how things are trending and, and performing. This constant desire to move towards a standardized set of KPIs where we do like even some of the biggest global brands that we work with are still struggling on what should I focus on and what are the most critical KPIs for us to be able to measure our partnerships on an apples to apples basis. So those are kind of like the two biggest trends that have been ongoing for the last couple of years that we've seen. And then probably one of the more, uh, the newer and more interesting uh, trends is this whole like concept of modeling around predictive analytics. And um, we're seeing now where in advance of people doing deals, they're getting deep into the data to understand how effective is this partner at promoting sponsors? Who's engaging with them? Is it the right target audience for us? And you can actually use predictive analytics to even estimate potential value and predict the outcome so that you can use it for negotiations. So that's probably one of the more exciting things that we're seeing and that, you know, gets me excited about working with our partners, especially on the brand side is, that, you know, there's so much evolution in how everything is moving forward. It's, uh, it's just a great time to be in the space. Well, picking up that point about looking at the data and making some predictions on potential success or even using it to set return on objective goals or even return on investment goals, let's pick up that point a little bit more. We're seeing performance-based sponsorship deals become more and more prominent and having access to data and being able to predict success plays an important role in those negotiations. Is performance-based sponsorship deals right for, for all brands to look at as a, as a path to move down or, or is it a matter of it depends whether they should really go down there? What advice would you have for them on that front? I absolutely believe that most brands should move in this direction. And there, there's a lot of moving parts here because it's really difficult to do performance-based sponsorships if you can't measure against a consistent set of KPIs. And if you don't actually understand what your goals are, then it's hard to hold a partner accountable to helping you achieve those goals. But in most cases, we hear and see brands that are actively trying to shift into this type of mindset. And um, it's just a slow shift to turn because it's not how deals were really structured in the past. And I think AB InBev made their announcement, I want to say it's you know, coming up on three years ago now. In, or, you know, I think it was in February or March of 18 is when they kind of made their announcement that they were moving in this direction. And, and it, uh, from what I understand, they're still implementing it. So it's not something that's going to happen overnight, but it, it's the right mindset. And I think it's, it's the spirit of the partnership is that it increases accountability for the rights holders. And I think it'll force the party to have the discussion on what's important to me and how can me as a rights holder help you as a brand to achieve those objectives. And then the alignment will just happen a lot more naturally, but it's, it's going to be a, a slow shift to turn. And I think it's going to take some time to get it fully, um, you know, implemented in a way that makes a lot of sense for everybody. But only positive things come out of those conversations from my point of view. So Scott, you mentioned real-time measurement earlier and it creates a lot of interest. It sounds very cool, sounds very sexy, but it's what you do with that data that is actually important because the ability to measure in real time against a consistent set of KPIs, you've made that point a couple of times, or even objectives, that's going to be paramount for brands moving forward if they look at real-time measurement. So what does this look like in your eyes in terms of application and what do we do with it? Because real-time measurement strikes me as something pretty technically easy to do. But as I said, it's what we do with that real-time information either in the moment or week to week that's going to be important, isn't it? 
Absolutely. I think what we're seeing is that there there still is a tendency and a, a bit of uh, information overload. Like it's really great to talk about data and the use of data and how you can use it to incorporate it, your or make your sponsorship strategies more effective. But more often than not, what we tend to hear is that it's it's a bit of an over a data overload. And how do I decipher the information and pick out what's most critical to me. So I think a lot of it is going to come back to the brands kind of locking in on like, these are critical metrics that we all think are consistent that are what we should be using to measure the effectiveness of sponsorship and then getting the industry to adopt it. Because I think there still is a, there's a push and pull where, you know, I think the rights holders and what they see as value and what they think is important to deliver value may or may not always line up with what the brands want. So it's how do you get that consistency and that um, you know commonality that everyone is speaking the same language. Key sectors explored in the white paper that we started speaking about include apparel and accessories, beverages, financial services, and automotive, fairly common ones. Why do you think it's these categories that always seem to be the big spenders in sponsorship. And it's interesting because the results of the brands that are getting the most value aren't always in line with who's spending the most money. We really looked at the value that was received and uh, it wasn't ranked based on what people are spending. So if you go back to that you know, list, um, there were some big brands that didn't make the top 50, but would be in the top 10 in terms of spend. So uh, so yeah, so what we analyzed was really more um, the value that was being received and the uh, versus the amount of money being spent. And in some cases, like Nike is is clearly you know an obvious one because they had over eleven thousand different entities promoting them because they're on so many different kits and you know and they're heavily invested in athletes and uh, which is a very different strategy than like an AB InBev that's very team and league focused, more venue focused. So um, so yeah, the dynamic isn't really consistent across all these different brands. In contrast, Scott, and I'm sure all the listeners who are rights holders out there, their ears will prick up and they'll sit a little straighter in their chair for this one. But what emerging sectors do you see becoming major players in sponsorship in the next two to five years? In terms of the top spenders, and um, I think the silver lining on the rights holder side is that I think there's a lot of movement happening right now because there is such a huge emphasis on evaluating existing partnerships. And I I'm optimistic that as a result of COVID, that budgets won't shrink too much, but I do have a feeling that they are going to shrink a bit, you know, at least for the next 18 to 24 months. But I do think there's still going to be a lot of money at play because sponsorship is just such a um, a sexy and effective form of marketing that brands enjoy spending in it. And they, even if they can't measure it, like it's as without COVID, it's been growing every year for the past couple of decades. So so it's not shrinking, even though it's not quantified or you know measured like other forms of marketing at the moment. So, um, but in terms of, so I think the short answer is there's going to be a lot of money that's still at play. I think there's going to be a lot of movement, but I think the rights holders that are creative and can really kind of build their case for specific go- and that align with specific goals and objectives for their partners and there's strong alignment will really benefit well here. Um, in terms of sectors, um, you know, some of the the gambling companies I think are going to be you know, coming in very aggressively, there's a lot of restrictions in how they can promote and activate, but, but they, we did see that as a category that was growing pretty quickly and the value that was being attributed to them. And then even possibly like some of the CBD companies and, you know, it's uh, whether or not they play with sports very well, it remains to be seen, but, but there's a lot of money there. 
So yeah, I think that those would be two kind of emerging categories. And otherwise, it's going to be pretty consistent to what we've seen just with a lot of movement over the past couple of decades. Scott, no one likes making mistakes. Sometimes we might not even know we're making a mistake until it gets pointed out. So as such, what's the biggest mistake rights holders and brands can make when it comes to sponsorship evaluation? What's one big thing they really need to avoid, make sure they don't do it? I wouldn't say it's necessarily a mistake, but something that just gets overlooked is be clear on brands' goals and objectives. And if the brand doesn't know, then like try and work with them to understand it because um, that's where, you know, when that lack of alignment comes out where, you know, you get everything's fun and exciting in the early kind of honeymoon phase. And then, uh, but if the goals and objectives aren't like clear and outlined in very specific, then it's hard to know, like, did I accomplish what this brand was trying to accomplish? So I think, yeah, being very clear and on the same page, you know, I keep bringing up this, this term of alignment. It's just such a critical aspect because otherwise you have no idea whether or not you're doing a good job and delivering value for your sponsors. And there's, you know, a very significant amount of investment in most cases coming from it. Scott, you can't manage what you don't measure or can't measure. Do you think rights holders and brands are set up technology wise to keep up with what's required to conduct in-depth analysis of their sponsorships and using that data? Hopefully most are, but if some aren't, how do they go about addressing that gap and moving forward? Yeah, this is a great question because it's something that even we, in all honesty, uh, struggle with on our own. When you look at sponsorship, it's such a complicated web of, it's a matrix of value that's coming back when it's, you've got traditional media like TV and radio and print, and then you've got, you know, new age media like social and digital OTT, and you've got onsite attendance and fans, and there's just so many different aspects of it. And how do you measure each, you know, link in the chain, if you will? And uh, so there's a couple of challenges that face the industry. One is how do you organize all of that information in a clean and succinct way? And then how do you collect it in a way that's, that's uh, repetitive? Because in some cases, like getting onsite attendance data and that, that kind of thing, socials real time, you can pull it every couple of minutes. Other things you have to pull at a different frequency. So I think the industry as a whole is is challenged with how do you organize all of these different disparate data sources and collect them in a way that's consistent and then most importantly then you know render it in a way that's that's useful so i think there's a, a tremendous amount of work to be done from a technology standpoint and it's and technology is not cheap so i think it's it's a very expensive and very kind of overwhelming task that everyone is trying to figure out and i think us included there's folks that do a good job of like measuring the top of the funnel and brands are ultimately trying to figure out how does this convert to sales? And there's a lot of work to be done in the middle there. And, um, and but the only, what I do know is the only way that you're going to be able to accomplish it is with technology and data. And it's just a, a very long big picture view and vision. Certainly a lot of challenges for people. Scott, if people want to find out more about Hook It and especially the white paper chasing sponsorship value, or even connect with you and keep the conversation going, what can they do? Where can they go? Yeah, just head over to uh, www.hookit.com. There's a whole section, not only for this one white paper, but we've got a number of different white papers on uh, uh, all sorts of different topics. And then, yeah, you can always reach out to us at uh, insights at hookit.com and, and uh, the right person will get back to you. Scott Tilton, CEO at Hookit. Thank you so much for coming on the show and taking us inside your amazing white paper, Chasing Sponsorship Value, and also sharing your thoughts more broadly on measurement in the sponsorship industry. 
Thanks, Daniel. Really nice to uh, be here and appreciate you having me. Listeners, be sure to head to hookit.com and get yourself a copy of that white paper, Chasing Sponsorship Value, an inside look at the top brands in sports, how they got there and what they could do even better because it's a great read and full of amazing insights. Or head to coresoftware.com and the show notes for this episode, episode 90, where I've provided a link to the white paper, to the Hookit website and also to Scott's LinkedIn profile. That's a wrap for episode 90. And thank you so much for all the legends that made contact and said hi and I gave a shout out to at the start of the show. I'd love to give everyone else a shout out, even if you've had one before. So please do get in touch and say hi and I'll make that happen for you. If you want to connect with me, you can do so on LinkedIn. Just search for Daniel Oyston. That's O-Y-S-T-O-N. Or if you want to connect with Core Software's commercial director, APAC, Daniel Collier-Hill, you can catch him on Daniel. Dot Collier, C-O-L-L-I-E-R at coresoftware.com or search for him on LinkedIn as well. Until next time, I'm Daniel Oyston. Thanks for listening to Inside Sponsorship. Thanks for listening to the show. For more episodes and to subscribe to the show, search for Inside Sponsorship on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts or wherever it is you listen to your podcasts. Also, for more free industry-specific resources, including blogs, ebooks, white papers, and our Insights newsletter, head to coresoftware.com. Finally, be sure to follow Core Software on Twitter and LinkedIn.